I'll be your moderator for the next 60-minute discussion, interaction, and also exploration of the topic, how COVID-19 accelerates change in safe and secure food systems. Now, I said the word interaction purposely because we really want you guys, the audience and green tech community, to take part in this webinar. There's going to be a couple of areas where you can vote, as well as the ability to put your questions forward. We have 1,630 registrants from 92 countries, which is amazing. And we've already had some fantastic questions come in. So Green Tech is all about bringing together the horticultural communities. Knowledge sharing, innovation discovery, and thoughtful discussions are all parts of helping to improve the sustainability for the production of crops. And we want to continue with those core aims by bringing together this live event. Now, arguably, we're at the start of what is going to be a marathon, not a sprint, when it comes to navigating and adapting to the COVID-19 challenges. All industries, including horticulture, have been affected by the pandemic. This is not news. Where we need to move the discussion is how we can innovate our way out of the crisis. After all, necessity is the mother of invention. And by bringing together some of the best minds here in the green tech industry, we want to deliver a message of hope and optimism. We want to bring together people here to not only present their challenges, but also their solutions. And we want people to come away from this webinar feeling positive. And boy, do we have one strong panel for you today. I think the majority of the panelists have, in fact, done TED Talks at one stage in their career, um, often seen as a pinnacle of public speaking. Um, I mentioned we're going to involve the audience straight away. So we'd like to bring up the first of our polls. When do you expect your business to return to normal? And by normal, we mean 2019 levels before the uh, pandemic struck. There's a few answers here. So A, my business is not being negatively affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. B, less than six months. C, six to 12 months. D, 12 to 18 months. 18 months plus or never. So if everyone can please uh, have a vote. As we mentioned, we have people from 92 countries around the world tuning in right now, over 1,600 people. Um, as we are collecting those results, let's bring back our speakers, because the first question we want to ask them is, what is the current COVID-19 pandemic impact on your business operation? So we really want to hear from them how they're pivoting, adapting, and navigating this. So again, we want two-minute answers to, to move through the panel quite quickly. So let's bring in uh, Rob Barn, the owner of Copper Crest. Rob, are you with us? But it's a very tough time. I, if you would have asked me um, 60 days ago, one million restaurants in Europe will close down for three months, I would say you're crazy, but uh, we are there. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. And as we were speaking ahead of the webinar, you said you've tried to plan for a number of different emergency situations, and this is one that nobody can, can plan for to this scale. So thanks for your input. We have had the results of the poll come in, and the winner, or not so much a winner, but the uh, top choice for when do you expect business to return to normal is between six and 12 months with 25% of the vote. Um, in terms of my business is not negatively being affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, um, we had uh, 98 people um, respond, so 15%, sorry, 9% uh, even. But um, let's bring in uh, Mike to answer the question next in terms of what is the current COVID-19 pandemic uh, impacting your business operations? Mike, if you're there. 
And again, just whilst we're waiting for Mike, the question is, what is the current COVID-19 pandemic impact on your business operations? So we're, we're looking to hear how companies are facing this challenge, how they're pivoting, adapting and navigating. Mike, you're now with us. Over to you. Not as familiar with it, the concept is they reviewed the skills of our teams. Then we took a look at the assets that we had and the capabilities we had. And we took a look at the community problems that existed. And based on that, we mapped them against each other and came up with a short-term plan. That plan for us was, by the way, to use a really clear example, is a vodka factory that's not far from us next state over that started converting to sanitizer uh, production, sanitizer solution production. They realized these same inputs and they converted in their business business is thriving. They're going to go back to running spirits soon, but for now they're doing great. So what we did is we opened a curbside program called Veg Out, where we have customers coming and picking products up at our farms. We have um, started working with local chefs and um, they started creating products um, or menu items with our products that we would sell for them and give all the proceeds to the unemployed restaurant workers. And we started working with hospitals and taking care of the front line through donations and just feeding them. All of that got us really connected to the community. And we come out of this COVID crisis. Not only are we doing a lot of good for the community, but it's going to pay back in spades. Obviously, we also simplified our operations, cut costs, cut spending, and did a whole bunch of other key measures to make sure that we come out of this stronger than we came in. We have to survive through this to thrive. Look, bottom line, food is essential. Our industry is essential. Healthy eating is becoming even more critical because it helps solve our immune systems. Everybody's starting to realize it and get reconnected to the food system. And our industry was critical BC before COVID. It is incredibly critical now, and it's going to be vital to help the world, the economy rebound and deal with the AD, the after disease um, opportunity. So all of us on the phone just have to figure out how to survive so that we can thrive. Thank you, Mike. The message to come out is survive before we can thrive in the future. And I think you're right. People's relationships with food has changed. People perhaps under lockdown conditions who are not spending time commuting, are spending more time cooking. People are wanting to eat more healthy to perhaps uh, keep the uh, COVID-19 at bay. So um, let's bring in Miney into the chat. Miney, you're there. I can see you operate a global company selling solutions into 100 countries. So in terms of the current COVID-19 pandemic, how are you seeing impact on your business and, and more importantly, adapting, navigating and, and moving around this? Yeah, like like most, like everyone's business, yeah, um, it is, um, uh, we are also relying on, on our customers' businesses, uh, how it goes with us. Uh, so it's the business of our partners and our customers that will impact also the business of Priva at the end. Uh, for us, the biggest worry is the, the borders. So the longer the borders are closed, the more uh, scary it will become towards the end of the year. Meaning that if technicians, consultants, uh, supervisors are not allowed to travel, and these are from our installation partners, then it will become uh, tricky according to the businesses, of course. I don't think it will disappear though. Uh, it's like Mike says, uh, so it will only be postponed. So it will be postponed until next year. But the different part is you don't want to stop uh, all your developments you already started for the last couple of years. So we hired a lot of young people 
Um, we hired uh, data scientists. We have new teams working on. We have startup teams. Uh, uh, we have Phil. You, so all those nice developments, you do not want to stop them uh, and save uh, because you do not know where the world is moving towards too. So you want to stay on track. Uh, meaning that that could be a serious loss at the end of the year, of course. Uh, we, I mean, this is not that important. Eh? So you want to go for your continuity uh, and, and, and to be on track again when, when, when things coming up again. Um, so I'm, I'm really ser seriously looking at the behavior of the banks this time too. Um, I know we cannot really compare it. This is a virus striking us. Last time it was the bank crisis striking us, but the behavior at the end of the banks, that they are really there for the entrepreneurs, knowing that this will be like a short time. Huh? So it will be like a short term something. Um, so they have to stick with us and not only care for their own balance sheet. I think that is really important. Um, there are some really nice things about it, and what I've already seen is it was sometimes international in all the different countries and with our customers. Uh, it is so easy yeah, to take the plane and travel and go and visit the sites, and, uh, and nowadays you cannot. So yeah, you are kind of forced to, to, to be like this. Huh? So now where we are uh, digital, um, I would love to have a hologram now, so I could be like in several places at the same time. But it creates new opportunities, so it's so much easier to have your consultancy uh, online, to have your trainings, we were already doing that, but even commissioning online. So our customers now with their own tech teams uh, are commissioning the computers and, and the fireluxes and the water units uh, with our help remote and that is really new for us too uh, it takes a little while now but but that will i mean we learn from it together yeah so th that is really nice uh, so there are indeed the those those very interesting positive sides um also to digital services to um, uh, have a better feeling about what artificial intelligence will do. We are testing and trialing with autonomous growing in Mexico, in Canada, in the UK. Um, so it, it is really one big learning uh, lesson now. Um, Thank you, Mani. Thank you. Well, um, we'll come on to the um, how the pandemic is accelerating the digital transformation later on. Um, certainly, you mentioned holograms. If we can see the the progression of holograms, I think you know that could be a, a marvelous thing. So we'll wait and see. But um, finally, let's bring in uh, Mariska for her viewpoint um, before we we come on to some Q and A from the audience. Uh, Mariska, if you can come in, and I'll uh, I'll switch my my camera off for this one. We believe in these physical uh, meetings and um, uh, Green Tech is part of Rye, of course, yeah, in, the, in the beautiful city of, uh, of Amsterdam. And we unite so many people and uh, we expect that, uh, that the world will um, at least in, uh, in, a, in a few months open up again. And like, uh, like mine, he was, uh, was just referring to how important, yeah, how, how, 
um, how beautiful it uh, it will be again to, uh, uh, to to see each other and to um, that, that, well that the traveling etc is uh, is possible uh, again. And in the meantime, yeah, we reach out to uh, to these kind of uh, of online uh, meetings, and it's a trial and error as we sometimes can see. So I would like to uh, to to well to um, uh, apologize uh, also a bit for that, but it's uh, we are doing and learning. Um, but having said that, um, we are going to uh, to focus more during uh, well, well, because of this uh, this crisis on more uh, hybrid events, more online, and uh, make it uh, make it more um, well, make it even more uh, better. Um, so that's what I uh, what I wanted to uh, to share about that uh, uh, at this moment. Great, thank you, Mariska. If um, so, we've had some great questions come in from the audience. Let's uh, let's bring up the first one, which is due to the pandemic, the demand for locally grown vegetables will increase. How will the international industry adapt to this? So, due to the pandemic, the demand for locally grown vegetables will increase. How will the industry adapt to this? So, uh, Miney, you are to the top right of my screen, so, so we'll start with you. How would you like to respond to this about the international industry adapting? Well, I think it was just a matter of time. So it looks like this crisis is speeding up a development that was already uh, going to happen uh, anyway. Um, meaning that um, we are now, of course, also facing uh, that things are not arranged or organized in that way uh, that we will otherwise would have seen anyway in a decade probably from now and what i mean i mean this is now uh, the the covid the pandemic um, that borders are closed uh, distribution uh, channels are changed uh, people are worried about their local food uh, production or, or uh, supply. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, we, we, we are still able to go somehow to greenhouses or to work or uh, uh, have our transportations. Huh? So it's not the worst, worst scenario of a pandemic yet. Um, if you look at the climate changes, though, so the, they already predicted that if we continue the way we do food production today, combined with the climate changes, will cause uh, billions of people having hunger by 2050. So that was already a trend. Huh? So we needed to make changes anyway, uh, and it needed to be locally uh, for sure. And I think it will have a lot of opportunities coming up. Um, I'd love to talk about that later uh, too. Um, in, in, in many ways. So uh, having those cities uh, feeling responsible of their own food production, uh, large scale, uh, in, in different ways. So from open field to, to high tech, to indoor growing, it will be all, uh, I think it will be a lot of nice and new opportunities, but it will change our business. Thank you, Maini. Um Just let's quickly throw to, um, Mike, on the same question, do you think uh, the pandemic is for uh, is going to accelerate the need for locally grown vegetables? That's kind of part of your your mantra in terms of growing closer from from where the, the produce is being consumed. 
and how is the yeah. international let's talk internationally how is this going to how, how is everyone going to adapt yeah so very quickly if again if you can hear me look the epidemic shined a light on all the issues that we have not been dealing with um there's a lot of food grown that can't be harvested i'll speak for north america that is rotting on the farms and the stores and the storefronts look horrible um we don't have enough product so necessity is the mother of invention and as you said tom and look we plan to build a lot of farms i think shortening that vulnerable supply chain and building um growing produce right next to the the demand point is huge i think the international community will adopt a lot every part of industry will need to support what we are doing in a sense in this whole new normal which is the seed breeders are going to start coming up with seeds that work for controlled environment um i am hearing a lot of feedback guys i hope you guys can hear me but seed breeders will need to do different things i think the energy sector is going to be able to kick in with clean energy i think automation and robotics will need to kick in to make this food affordable i think the whole nutrition industry will play a huge role i think every part of the industry will have an opportunity to contribute to this new value chain that is going to be created because of this epidemic and again all of us work to figure out what role we're going to play we can you know fight it and stick our head in the sand or we can figure out how we can play a role but the point is there is no going back that's clear mike thank you nice point to finish on on there there's no going back we have to look forward Rob, um, if you can quickly chime in on that. Well, I, uh, on my business card, I write down uh, Metropolitan Farmer. Uh, I'm uh, five minutes by bicycle to The Hague, uh, 20 minutes by bicycle to uh, Rotterdam, and 50 minutes to Delft. And that's together, it's about uh, 2 million uh, people. In a circle of uh, 800 kilometers around my farm, the majority of Europe is living. So, um, I don't feel so much concerned of this local for local because logistics are very well organized and uh, you don't have to cross so many borders to reach 100 million people. Um, so yes, local for local, I understand. And when it's long distance, we are doing it. We have our licensed partners around the world. But um, I think you still need concentrated areas of growers together with a logistical center and uh, no need to do that in every city, uh, especially not in Europe. But um, I can imagine when you talk about 2000 miles, yes, but 600 miles, one truck drive a day, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty doable. So um, in the area we're based, the Westland, we have all this know-how, all this expertise, all this labor, all together and it works fine. So I don't see, I saw the question coming by, do you want to change your, your business model? No, I don't want to change my business model. I want the restaurants to open and they will open up. So then I'll be back. Okay, powerful words. Thank you, Rob. So the topic of um, digital, of AI, even holograms has come up. So that links us really nicely to question two. Um, Riska, we're going to start with you on this one, if you can come in. And the question is, uh, how will the pandemic accelerate the adoption of AI, artificial intelligence, digital tools, in particular, autonomous greenhouses? 
Now, quite a few questions and comments have come in about this. Uh, we're seeing it in many other industries, acceleration of digital, um, perhaps in areas where digital was an option, it's now essential. Mike, let's, uh, let's come back to you. Um, AI, digital, in particular autonomous greenhouses, do you think the current pandemic challenges we're facing is really going to push, accelerate and drive that as a, not a perhaps nice to have as a, a need to have, particularly around, you know, gaps in workforces, potential absenteeism and people falling, you know, potentially ill? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm going to continue beating the same drum here that I've been beating the whole time. Uh, we believe in it. We're very passionate about it. Look, the future is now. Um, our belief is that over the time um, of mankind, pandemics force us to face issues that we normally ignore and are comfortable with. Our health systems are ineffective. We believe our food supply chains are broken and the food we eat is now we should be eating. COVID will accelerate and become the catalyst for this change. And I'll give you an example. Um, we always expected groceries to um, be delivered to our homes at some point. Um, well, again, the future is now, it's happening. Um, my mom is buying groceries online. Imagine that. Um, nobody ever expected that. FMI, Food Marketing Institute, predicted years ago or forecast that 20% of shopping will move online um, by 2025. The biggest problem with that prediction was perishables. You can ship everything else anywhere in the world, but perishables are a major issue. And the potato chips are not the same as computer chips. Food is not the same as everything else. So you can get local meat and you can get local baked goods, but farming, again, especially in North America and many other parts of the world where food security is an issue, or we travel mainly from California to the rest of the country, 2,000, 3,000 miles, it's a major, major issue. So COVID is going to force us to look at it differently and make it more efficient. So more localized growing in a lot of parts of the world is coming for a variety of reasons. And big data is huge for indoor farming because we can look at trends and we can learn faster. The key point to make here is when we grow indoors, we photosynthesize a lot faster. We grow crops a lot faster with different cycles. And um, we learn much faster. I mean, we can learn. We have growers that are 25 years old that know as much about growing leafy greens as any 60-year-old grower in the world because they've gone through more cycles of leafy greens in their three or four years with less variation. So what happens is because we can learn faster, we can get 10, 20 years experience in three to five years. But to do that, you have to have tools. You have to have artificial intelligence, you have to have machine learning, you have to be able to capture that data, environmental data, growth data, everything else, assess it. It's essential in our space. So yes, COVID, we believe, will force local food production to accelerate. It's the catalyst and to make local food production truly affordable and truly manageable, truly democratized, uh, have the high quality, high consistency at the right price point, you have to use digital tools. Mike, thank you. Miney, let's, uh, let's bring you in this because in terms of the solutions for the climate, the data, the operational side, this is, this is your company's um, core business. So do you see uh, an acceleration of, uh, in the uptake of autonomous greenhouses, the availability and the use of AI and digital tools? No, for sure it is uh, uh, something that uh, 
that will speed up also. Uh, and it is about autonomous growing, especially in those areas in the world where it's difficult to find growers uh, anyway or where you um, have a lack of knowledge to really run an operation well. Um, next to that, it will be a very handy tool for all growers to do uh, and have attention for the different uh, facets uh, of, of their job. So if you can make uh, parts easier, then, then you have time over to do other things uh, in a different way or with more attention. Um, and, and, and we are pretty far in that. So uh, it is already that, that from out of the plant or the evaporation of the leaf, you really can see when you need to grow vegetative or generative. And so the developments are going very fast at this moment. Uh, and yes, it is, of course, very important for Priva. We're looking partnerships. We, have, we are working together with Microsoft, with Utility, um, uh, have our data scientists and our teams. And, and, and what you have is, uh, until now, eh, I mean, you can bring up a lot of data and think that was a, the, the major question over the last couple of years. Uh, is not to invest in security because it has to be secure. You cannot just connect your computer, have everything uh, distracted from it and, and have other ones getting in there, uh, getting into your primary process uh, from your greenhouse. That is, uh, so it has to be um, secure, it has to be reliable. Uh, you have to be sure that the data stays yours, so the data belongs to you. As, uh, and. and, and um, it's not mine, eh? so it is really yours. So, but what is then really the value out of those digital services that you can get? And, and I think I, I just want to share one thing. Uh, we learned a lot in the beginning from building automation. Um, and we started there with the digital services uh, years before uh, we are now starting and in, in horticulture with uh, Plantonomy and Copano is coming this year. But on the building automation, I mean, people in buildings can complain when there's something with the climate, but they don't die. Eh? So in, in the greenhouse, it's more, um, you have to be really secure that everything goes well. But from building, we learned with algorithms, the impact that it can have on energy savings is enormous. So you take out the data uh, and it's not only going up, but you have to do something back uh, and take over the controls. And you can take over the controls in a more predictive way, or you learn from, from different uh, elements getting in there too. And we could save on every building about 50% on the usage of gas for heating up the building. And it was with five buildings and two buildings, and three buildings. And I was like, oh, wow, we can close down all coal-fired heat uh, plants in the Netherlands if we would just apply something like software. Huh? It's just like an algorithm. So the effect and the impact of what we're learning all together today with all the startups and the companies and they start to cooperate and build up new ecosystems uh, will have a huge impact on becoming more sustainable in the world anyway. So I really love these developments. Thank you, Mani. I think the uh, one of the key points is to not only generate the data, but to make sure there's security with that data. As everything becomes more digital, you know these assets are fully protected. So, Rob, before we uh, we finally go into over to Mariska, Rob, yeah, big data, quick... AI, and digital. Give yeah. us your your thoughts on how that's being accelerated. 
the good thing of being in the Westland is uh, all this know-how has been around in a circle of uh, five kilometers bicycling. So if Miney develops something beautiful, I'll buy it from Miney and I will keep on growing on the way I want to grow with her know-how. Uh, so we have to learn from each other, work with each other. I'm not going to invent, invent artificial intelligence. I'm not interested in that. That will be done by specialists in our industry. And uh, I was one of the first to, to start with uh, uh, the LED lights and everyone's saying it was crazy, but it, it works and it was a good, a good move. Um, what I want to say, because I see also people internationally talking about this whole thing, um, keep in mind, if you want to make expensive products, make it in expensive areas. If you want to make cheap products, do it in cheaper areas. Don't try to produce cheap products in expensive areas and other way around, because it won't match. And um, that's why I believe that in, an, uh, in this Western world where we're in, uh, I have no labor problem because I can afford to pay my labor full time year round. Now, at this moment, a little bit troublesome, but we can do that. So labor cost, uh, labor, uh, we're all talking about feeding 10 billion people. What are they going to do if they don't have work? So uh, I don't want to unemploy people. I want to keep them at work with something very nice to do. And uh, that happens as well. So artificial intelligence, mind if you have something on the, on the shelf, I'll buy it from you. And for the rest, uh, we keep on growing. Well, there we go. Some uh, some bi a business transaction during a live webinar right there for you. Um, so, actually, Rob, thanks. <laughs> Rob, thank you for that. I mean, you touched upon another question. Um, we're not going to have quite enough time to answer, and that was, um, at present, the labor needed for greenhouse production is insufficiently available. This is only getting worse. How can the industry solve that? So I think you've touched a bit upon that, and I think the other speakers have as well. But let's just try and bring in uh, Mariska, if you're there, just to um, perhaps answer this question, if you can. Okay, well, um, well, I believe indeed uh, as well that the pandemic um, will propel and um, yeah, embrace AI and digital tools even uh, even more by the horticulture industry. And uh, it's, it's part of the innovations already for quite a long time. And uh, like, uh, like Rob and Meini also uh, expressed, um, and you see that also uh, investors that don't necessarily have a green thumb are really um, embracing these kind of, uh, of tools to, uh, to grow crops. And well, if you look at, uh, at the greenhouses themselves, they, uh, they get more and more equipped with sensors and all kinds of other um, you know, digital uh, possibilities. And uh, these data help, of course, to, to grow a better plant, because that's what we are doing it for, to grow a better and, and healthier plant. Um, so, and first of all, we saw that, that, that growers were not that um, uh, keen to, to embrace it, well, um, apart from, uh, from the real innovative, uh, innovative growers. But you see now that, that it's, it's a kind of common sense. It gets common sense to, uh, to have AI in your greenhouse. And that's um, uh, like a, a climate control, water management, uh, shading, lighting, all the buttons you can turn to, uh, to really have the plant grow in the best way are automated more and more. And it's not fully autonomous maybe, uh, but it's it's getting more and more um, autonomous. So, uh, and I, I really like that to see that because it enables uh, growers to be more um, sustainable and that's better for uh, for the world. 
Great stuff. Thank you, uh, Mariska. Um, and I think the the note upon um, improving sustainability of operations is is one of the core aims we, we said at the start. So if the adoption of those digital tools can help on that journey, then I think um, it's one, one uh, evolution that certainly would be welcomed when it's accelerated. So now um, for the audience, uh, fingers at the ready, we're going to have the second of our votes. And we did say we wanted to give you um, a message of hope and optimism. So we've brought together uh, uh, four quite positive answers of you know um, good things to come out of the current pandemic. So if you can all vote, I'll just read through them. Uh, what is the main positive to come out from the COVID-19 pandemic? Is it more localized resilient supply chains? All of our panel have touched upon that. Uh, the acceleration of digitalization automation, as in the last answer. Uh, innovators and innovations will thrive. And then finally, um, as I mentioned, people will eat healthier, driving the horticulture business. So let's just give everyone 30 more seconds to vote on that. Let's run through it. Uh, what is the main positive to come out of the COVID-19 pandemic? Is it more localized, resilient supply chains, acceleration of digitalization, automation, innovators and innovations will thrive and people will eat healthier, driving the horticulture business. Okay, so just um, as we wait for those results to be collected, please make sure you vote. Um, again, it's gonna be interesting to see from those 92 countries around the world, which, um, which answer comes out top. Um, but before we come to the final um, future gazing, as I like to call it, who wants to kind of comment on some of those positives that may be coming out of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Can you raise your hand so I can see in the screen if anyone has any thoughts to say? Um, Rob, there's a, a flick of the hand subtly there. What would you, um, how, how would you comment on those answers in that question? Well, um, being honest, I can't find anything positive on COVID-19. I, I hate uh, the mother. Um, I, and I thought maybe communication was going to be improved by COVID-19, but I think this webinar shows also communication is still a difficulty. Um, I hope people will think more positive about the importance of food, but I haven't heard any politicians saying, guys, build up your resistance, eat better, so we have less problems. So uh, maybe consumer, it sinks in the consumer, but I haven't heard the politicians. And I only hear um, uh, a few uh, doctors saying something about the health and 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 uh, resistance. So um, yeah, being honest, I'm not a big fan of COVID nineteen. If you don't mind, I think that's a fair result. I think anybody running a business is perhaps not a fan of COVID nineteen. It's impacting everyone around the world. Um, but I think what you mentioned is a really valid point about. Uh, prioritizing health. We often talk about infrastructure resilience um, and perhaps not human resilience through improving our diets, you know, eating more fruits and vegetables and, and um, less uh, junk food. So we've got the results coming from that poll, pretty um, tight race. Um, the one that tops it just is more localized resilient supply chains with 28% uh, of the vote followed by the acceleration of digitalization uh, automation, 25% of the vote, and then innovators and innovations will thrive in third place, 19%. And surprisingly, people will eat healthier driving the horticultural business, only 17%. Okay, so 
the final point, and we've we've just heard from Rob, so uh, let, let's perhaps bring in Mike on this, is um, future gazing. If you have a crystal ball and you can look ahead for the next 12, 18, 24 months, um, what do you think will be the main positive to come out for the pandemic? I know, um, Rob, you've just mentioned there are no positives right at the moment for you, but if you if you can look at somewhere you're adapting or pivoting in the future, where do you think? But let's, um, Rob, if you have a think about that, let's uh, let's bring in Mike to answer that straight away if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hope you can hear me. Look, um, we always um, try to look at things um, as an opportunity. Every threat is an opportunity. As you started early on, necessity is the mother of invention. We can't undo we completely agree with Rob. There's a lot of pain to be had, and we don't mean to be insensitive to any of that. But our philosophy is, you know, we just try to look for how to, how to create something very positive out of it. So to me, there's going to be new lines of business that are going to come out. We're going to try to build much richer connections to the community, and I think a lot of others will too. I think people will reconnect with their food supply because it's a real risk for the communities. I think what seems really scary and nerve-wracking today is going to become very common. It will become ubiquitous in five years. Example is a cell phone. Ten years ago, a cell phone was, how many of us used it? It was, it was not it was a toy. Today, none of us can imagine living without it. We believe that indoor farms are going to be as ubiquitous and local food production is going to be as ubiquitous in five years, ten years. Lettuce will not be shipped from California to Midwest. Food is not going to be brought all over the world. It's just, it's the way things were done in the past. It's awesome. But there have to be better, more logical business models. And the world is moving to it. You can't go back. So our philosophy is the pandemic is going to be a catalyst. What does it mean? We believe it's going to lead to nutrition. If you think about the fact that we're not going to be selling lettuce in five years. We're going to be selling nutrition food systems are going to be customized just like exercise programs. Today, you got 23andMe, all the DNA testing programs, right? And people are adapting their exercise program based on their own personal needs in their body. Why can't you adapt your diet to what you need? The world is changing fast. Mankind has always underestimated the rate of change. And frankly speaking, those who underestimate the rate of change will not be around. It's just that simple. So my call to everybody on this call is take a look at what's happening, figure out how you play a role in it. Our industry is the most necessary industry. We have to feed people. If food supply chains are broken, it will lead to revolutions that will lead to horrible things. We have to feed people with healthy nutrition food. Change is here. It's coming. Figure out how to adapt and survive. COVID is going to jumpstart adoption of all these technologies, and there will be no going back. Thank you, Mike. Some uh, powerful and punchy statements there. I think if it can accelerate people taking on a more nutritious and healthy lifestyle, then that certainly can't be a bad thing. Miney, final closing words from you. Look into Thank your you. crystal ball please and tell us what do the next couple of years hold for Priva? If I look in the crystal ball then cities are rethinking the way they design their cities uh, and I want to picture that for you. So I see the Netherlands as a whole so if you look at it as a whole it's just one mega city uh, and above 
you see those urban spots and you see in between uh, horticulture, agriculture, um, uh, livestock, anything. So in fact, it is a city that produces more food than it needs itself. A wonderful example for other megacities. And I think that is really going to happen uh, the next um, decades. Uh, the design of the cities will be rethought. And so normally, I mean, you have to figure this out. Eh? So normally those cities were pushing away the green belts and it's not nice to live. And there are only all the people there who are still producing food. And some are 60 years, some are 70 years. So there's no future. The younger generation that wants to become the growers of the future, our future farmers, they want to stay in there. They want to be with their friends and, and, and their their neighborhoods and in a lively environment. So if those cities, and they are seriously large, what I'm talking about, eh? I'm talking about sizes, New York and Shanghai. Um, if they say, okay, we will, we will save those 100 of hectares of space within those urban areas to develop uh, this kind of ecosystems um, where food can be Produce. And it's not only, and that is my point I want to take and, and, and at the end, it is not only about food producing. A food producing city is a livable city. It will boost entrepreneurship. It is about social coherence, creating that. And it's also about having a green uh, living environment. So it will do so much more than uh, producing the healthy and nutritious food at the end. Thank you, Miney. So a drive to accelerate livable, green, prosperous cities, not just from an urbanization point of view, but an increase um, in, in the green land and uh, the horticultural business as well. Rob, we are approaching the end of our, our time slot. If you can give us your, your final pearls of wisdom and and perhaps summarize your your thoughts on looking into the future of where we're headed if you can in, in 30 seconds if you please well food is going to be more important um, fresh food is going to be more important um, at this moment the food chain is dominated by the supermarkets because in the COVID period they have left the exclusivity uh, you will see an, uh, a minimization of assortment with products Less produce, a lot of products, but not a wide range. And uh, we need a, a broader range of assortment, broader range of food, uh, like restaurants use it. Um, I, I, I see the picture of Maini. I believe that's why I call myself a uh, metropolitan farmer. We're in the metropole of Western Europe, and many metropoles need a green area to produce and to have quality produce year round. Thanks. Great. Thank you, uh, Rob, aka the uh, Metropolitan Farmer. I just want to say a big thank you to our panelists and to everyone who's tuned in around the world. Um, if we were in a physical conference room together, I would ask everyone to put a, their hands together for a very loud round of applause. Panelists, I think some of the discussions we've had could continue for hours and hours, and we've only just touched upon them. Um, we've had some excellent comments, uh, and most everyone, I think, can agree that really it takes the whole supply chain, the whole green community to come together to think about how we can innovate, um, create partnerships and team up for the future. On that note, we'd like to um, make sure everyone keeps an eye out for the Green Tech virtual event on June 8, 9 and 10. Uh, more details will be available 
on the Green Tech website for updates. Um, and we'd also like to thank everyone for tuning in and taking part. All of the unanswered questions, and we have many of them, will of course be forwarded onto our panelists to take a look and try and respond to as many as we can. Um, the webcast will be available on demand. Um, and stay tuned June 8, 9 and 10 on the Green Tech website for more details of the virtual event. Thank you, speakers. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Be well. Goodbye.